Welcome to the Summit Church Podcast. Stand with me in honor of reading God's word, if you will. And we're going to take our text. If you get your Bibles out, we're going to take our text, the beginning of this message. Uh, We're doing a series called Generous Steward, and this will be the last message in that series. And uh, we're taking a text, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10 in the NIV. And if you have your Bible, please, please use it. Or if you have an electronic device that serves as your Bible, you can look at it there. Or if you have our app, you can just go, the notes are right there and you can add your notes along as well. But first Peter chapter four, verse 10, everyone read it with me. You can see it on the screen. Everyone read each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. And I want to continue a message today called Handle with Care. And the text, the subtext for this series is this, Matthew 6, 31 through 33. Read it with me. Everyone read it loud. So do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you have need of them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Father, we thank you for your word today. We ask you, God, to use it to change our lives, to make a difference, to impact us so that we leave this place different than we came in. God, if there are people here who do not have a relationship with you, maybe they're far from you, that before they leave this place today, they'll make a decision to become a disciple of Christ. They'll make a decision to commit to follow you, and they'll receive your free gift of salvation that changes their life. Father, we pray for those who may be on the bubble, who may be kind of lukewarm, maybe apathetic in their spiritual walk, that the anointing of the Holy Spirit will undergird them and that they'll be refreshed and refired by your spirit to live a life on fire for you, God. We pray, Heavenly Father, for those who just need spiritual maturation, those who may have just need to grow spiritually. God, we just pray that this word somehow, some way, you'll move me out of the way and you'll speak to your people today. And God, in Jesus' name, and say something that will change us from the inside out. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm glad you're here. You can be seated. So last week we ended with talking about Peter and his worldview. And the whole idea of this message about worldview is that we operate, we function, we act on, we speak, we do based on the way we see the world. The filter through which you see the world affects every aspect of your life, not just part of your life, not just some of your life, but every part of your life. And so the thing we need to do as believers is number one, we need to acknowledge that we have a worldview and we need to ensure that our worldview is bibliocentric or Christocentric, meaning our worldview is centered around Christ and around his word. And a lot of times what we found in our message last week, in the message last week, with a lot of times we are not centering our worldview around Christ or around the Bible, but we are so influenced by the world 
And when I say the world, I'm not talking about people. I'm talking about ideologies and philosophies and teachings and, and mentalities and mindsets that are not godly, that are not uh, in, in harmony with the word of God or the will of God or the ways of God, but they are antithetical to that. And we've been so inundated with information and ideas that carry the weight of those ideas into our hearts, into our lives, into our minds, that when we make decisions, that when we act a certain way, that when we think about certain things, that when we behave in certain ways, it's because we're thinking from a worldly perspective, not a godly perspective. Now, this isn't new. This is something that that we've been aware of all of history because the apostle Paul said, he said in Romans chapter 12, verse one and two, he said, be not conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In other words, we have to change the way we think, align our thinking to align with the word of God, the will of God, the ways of God, instead of aligning our thinking with the ways, will, and words of the world. And, 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 and so he's telling us, if we get into the word, and I just repeat this over and over and over again as I preach and teach to you every weekend, I teach you this thinking, this mindset that the word of God isn't informational or educational. Yes, it informs us. Yes, it educates us. In other words, I can read this book and get a Christian education, meaning I can read the Bible and I can get an education on what principles and ideas come from Jesus or come from the prophets or come from God's mouth. I get it. I can learn it and I can believe on it, but not really know it or be in it. It can be educational. It can also be informational. It can inform you about the world around you. It can inform you about the way people think. It can inform you about the way issues are. But it's not only educational. It's not only informational. It's what the Bible itself describes as transformational. Because there is something that happens when you study the word of God that doesn't just educate or inform. It transforms. There's a spiritual thing that happens. I don't even know how to describe it to you. It's very hard. It, it's very hard to understand it from a physical place. But it's the truth in that the Bible will transform you if you will sincerely approach it and study it for what it says. Now, listen, we have a bad habit. There's two theological terms. Uh, or what I would call hermeneutical terms, in other words, Bible interpretation terms that we get messed up with. And one term is eisegesis and the other term is exegesis. And what we want to do is we want to be effective exegetes. We, in other words, we want to extrapolate from the text what it is actually saying which requires us to read it from where it's coming from. Not just read it as it how it applies to me, because before I can understand how it really applies to me, I first have to understand what its context was. I have to understand what it meant to them that were reading it when it was written. I have to understand what it was like then, so then I don't misinterpret it when I apply it to myself today, because there are things that are different today than were then. There are some things that are the same, but there are some things that are different. But what we 
have, a lot of believers are doing, and a lot of people in general are doing is what is known as eisegesis. In other words, I'm reading into the text. In other words, I will say, I will, I will take what I want to believe and I'll put it in the scripture. I'll take the scripture out of context, read it or use it in a way that codifies or confirms what I already want to believe instead of just taking from the scripture what it actually says. We cannot, as believers, find ourselves in that place. We have to understand if we approach the scripture from a sincere and authentic place where we say, God, just teach me. God, show me. God, reveal yourself to me. It will transform you. There's a scripture in the Bible where the Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Well, what does that mean? Well, here's what it means. It means the Apostle Paul was telling us, look, when you read the word of God or you hear the word of God, it makes, you, it makes your heart and your mind open up to the revelation of the word of God. So that's why when you really start studying the word of God, you want to study the word of God more. And so I want to encourage you today, understand this book is transformative and it can transform you. And we need to be thinking, looking, behaving, acting, touching our world from a perspective of bibliocentric or Christocentric thinking. In other words, I'm not going to let the world dictate to me how I think, how I act, how I behave. And, and here's what that means. That means that I have to take into context and into consideration what is God's will, what is his word, and what are his ways? Because if I take God's word without understanding his ways, I can become pharisaical, which is what they did in the, in the New Testament, the people that opposed Jesus. They knew all the law, and, and they used it to bludgeon people. They used it to look down their self-righteous noses at people and say, I'm better than you, and you're a sinner, and you're a bad person, and you're no good. Instead of saying, I'm found, you're lost, you need to be found. Doesn't mean I'm better than you, it just means I've, I know Jesus, or I know God. And in that, what they had become is self-righteous, and instead of just listening to the law, they become uh, they, they committed that sin I just talked about, that eisegesis. They inputted their own tradition. They didn't just take God's law. They just added a whole ton of other laws that caused them to be able to control other people religiously. So when you know God's word, but you don't know his ways, or you don't pay attention to his word about his ways, then you can find yourself using his word in a way that him and his nature would never use it. Are you with me? And then we have to know the will of God. What is the will of God? In other words, what does God want to do with my life? And we're going to be talking a lot about more of this in the future because God has stirred us up with our new vision, Connect, Grow, Go, where we're literally taking this on and we're turning the clock back and we're saying, you know what? We're going to become like New Testament church Christians and we're going to disciple. Jesus gave us one command when he left, make disciples. And it's funny how the modern day church doesn't make disciples. We just talk about Jesus saying make disciples. And Jesus told us we need to make disciples. What does that mean? It means connecting with people. And in, in our world that is so disconnected and becoming more increasingly disconnected, it's time for the church to become more connected with individuals. Why do we make these sweeping judgments as Christians and start blasting everybody for their sin as if they should act like Christians? 
Why do we do it? Because we're not connecting to individuals who need the love of Jesus and the grace of Jesus that can open up our hearts and make them see them different. And, and we're not mad at unbelievers and we're not wanting to kick them out and we're not wanting to hate them and be mean to them. No, we see ourselves as being on the boat and God put us on the ship and he is on the ship with us. And now we see them and they're languishing in the water and they're drowning and they need help. And so instead of saying, hey, you, 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 you're bad you can't swim or how come you fell off the boat man what's your problem you don't even you look crazy out there all by yourself trying to thrash against the water you're not going to make why are we doing that well how about we go over and get a, a lifesaver and throw it to him and say grab a hold of it I, his name is Jesus and I'll just bring you into the safety of the boat the only way we get there is we begin to obey God. God, I want your spirit to move. I want to see miraculous things. I want the power of God. I want the days of Pentecost. I want you to do this. And I believe if, as we pray that, God would ask us one simple question. Why? For what? I ask you to do one thing. Love people, disciple people, bring people to my family. If you're not doing that, for what am I empowering you? Come on, church. Don't get quiet on me this morning. If we want the power, we need to do the things that the power equips us to do, right? Or otherwise, there's no reason. Like, why, do you, why would you put fuel in your car if you're not going to drive it? Okay, I thought that one might hit a little better. <laughs> you know, yes, yes. So what happens is, listen... We get twisted about the way God thinks versus the way we think. This was Peter's problem. Peter's problem, I asked the question last week, why did Peter do what he did? When Jesus was arrested to be crucified, why did Peter act the way he did? Because if you look at what Peter did just by itself, isolate his behavior in that situation, <laughs> you would truly, you would truly think that he's a loony bird, man. You would think, man, this guy's crazy. What is he doing? Because one minute when they come to arrest him and they come up and they say, we're seeking for Jesus of Nazareth. He says, I am he. And the very power of Jesus saying, I am, because it's a reference to I am that I am. He was saying, I'm God. And when he did, the Bible is very clear that everybody that came after, was coming to arrest him, everybody fell back on the ground. I mean, that was that powerful a moment. And then they all got up. And Jesus went with them. And he did that just to say, I'm not being taken, I'm going. Now, in the midst of that, all that happening, all of a sudden Peter goes, no, you're not going to arrest my Lord. And he, out of nowhere, pulls a sword. And he starts flinging it. And he's such a fisherman and not a warrior that he doesn't even cut the guy's head off. He just cuts his ear off. And the guy's ear off. Can you imagine this scene? This is a freaky scene, y'all. Peter's cutting ears off. And Jesus, I, can you imagine the look on Jesus' face when he reaches over and picks up the ear? He's just looking at Peter like, dude. And just puts it back on the guy's head. I'm just like, if I'm just an observer right now in this scenario, I'm like, I don't know what is happening right now. This is crazyville. So then they take Jesus to the head of the Sanhedrin's house. They go up on top. They begin to try him. They mock him. They ridicule him. They saying things about him. And Peter's down in a courtyard warming his hands. And 
they start, aren't you, aren't you one of them? The same guy that was about to take somebody's head off is now saying, I don't, I'm not one of them. The same guy. This is just mere, mere moments later. The same guy is saying, no, I don't, I don't know. I don't know him. I'm not one of him. A young girl comes up and says, you, you, you talk just like him. You're a Galilean. You got to be one of him. And he curses and says, I'm not one of them. I don't even know him. And you think to yourself, what is happening here? And here's what's happening, his worldview. Peter's worldview is he was a Jew. And he understood Jewish things from a national, physical place. And here's what that means. He thought that Yeshua HaMashiach, the Messiah, Jesus the Messiah, Yeshua the Messiah was coming to set Israel free. He was coming to militaristically throw off the oppressor Rome and raise Israel to that place of predominance and rule the earth. Because eschatologically or end of times type thinking tells you that is going to happen. And when you look at the scriptures prophetically, there is coming a day where Jesus will return. And this time he's not returning as a baby in a manger. And this time he's not returning as a lamb. He's returning as a lion next time. And when he returns, he will overthrow the enemies of the, the gospel. He will overthrow Satan and all of his imps. He will overthrow all of those who've turned against him and rejected him. And every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. It will happen. But what was happening for the Jews, because they were looking at things from that worldview, you'll find that he couldn't understand what was happening because it didn't make sense that Jesus wasn't fighting back. I believe you're the king. I said, I've said it. You are the son of the living God. You are the Messiah. I believe it. I have revelation of it. I believe that you came to set us free. Whom shall else? What did they say to Jesus? Who, who, who else shall we go to? Who else has the words of eternal life? He's speaking directly about Messiahship. And here he is believing that Jesus is the Messiah. And now they're taking him and arresting him. And he's allowing it. Peter can't understand what's happening. So he's ready to fight, give his life for Jesus. And the next minute he's so confused, he denies he's even a part of the party. And he feels guilty and he feels ashamed. But the reason I tell you that story is simply this. It's because sometimes when we take a worldview that is physical and national or physical and ethnic or physical and financial or physical and whatever, when we see our Christianity through the filter of a worldview that is anti-biblical or at least extra-biblical, then we find ourselves looking at our Christianity through a filter that we shouldn't be seeing through. In other words, I don't look at my politics or my money or my friendships or my marriage or anything through the filter of the world. I look at those things through the filter of my life with Jesus. And it's so sad when it happens the other way. I start looking at my life with Jesus through the filter of what I see nationally or politically or financially. This is why so many people, when financial trials come, we, we get afraid and we stop living by God's economy and we start living in our own thinking and the way the world, fear, fear, fear. 
instead of God will provide. Guys, I go all over the world to developing nations, and believe me, you have it far better. No matter how bad it is, no matter how bad you think it is, you have it far better. And they still trust Jesus. They rely on Jesus. They walk with Jesus. They see their whole life through the filter of Jesus. So kingdoms of earth gain power by conquest. Kingdoms of heaven or kingdom of heaven gains power by meekness. Now, meekness is not weakness. It's restrained power. Right? Now, now, now think about this for a second. Kingdoms of earth gain power by conquest. The kingdom of heaven gains power by meekness. This is, and what did Jesus say to the disciples? Seek first the what? The kingdom of God and his righteousness. Or in other words, his word, his way, his will. So kingdoms of earth gain power by conquest. Kingdom of heaven gains power by meekness. Kingdoms of earth return evil for evil. Kingdom of heaven returns good for evil. Oh, no. No, pastor. Back up. Rewind. And I know it. I know it. It's hard for us. I know it. It's hard for us. Am I right? It's hard for us to actually believe Jesus meant that. Why? Because we're looking through a worldview that accommodates retribution a worldview that accommodates getting back he said kingdoms of earth return evil for evil kingdom of heaven returns good for evil to lead an earth kingdom you must be first and however you have to get first you get it you do it you cut somebody else off. You climb over the top of someone else. But the bottom line is, you want to lead, you got to be first. But to be first in the kingdom of heaven, you must be last. To lead in the kingdom of heaven, you must serve. And, and, and when we look at this, it really reminds us of how different we look at life than the way Jesus looked at life. Now, I know I'm not expecting y'all to all go out of here today and go, all right, all right, I'm good. I'm going to look at life just like Jesus looked at life because then somebody's going to cut you off uh, when you pull out of here. Probably somebody from the church. And you're going, somebody's going to cut in front of you and you're going like, you're number one in, in the book of lambs, the book of life. You're number one. And the reason that we do that is because we're looking from a fleshly place. And we need to be thinking from a biblical, spiritual, Christ-centered place. And does it mean I'm horrible if, I, if that happened? No, it just means we got we to gotta get into the word. It means we got to let the word saturate our hearts. We got to let the word get in our mind and our spirit so that our actions do begin to reflect Jesus. Because you don't try really hard to bear fruit, right? I mean, your tree's not out there going, no. Your tree, if it's healthy, fruit comes out. When we get healthy in the word of God, we get healthy seeking his face, praying. When we get healthy studying his word, the fruit just starts coming out. And what is the fruit? The fruit is the nature of Jesus. Word, 
ways will. It's ways. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, temperance, faith, goodness. That's Jesus. And that starts coming out of you as you partake of Jesus. And what do you mean? I said, I thought you said the word. This is Jesus, his words, his inspiration. His, what he, the Bible says in John chapter 1, in the beginning was the word. The word was God. The word made, all things were made by him. And without him, nothing was made that was made. In him is life. And the life was the light of man. And the light shone in darkness. And the darkness could not comprehend it. And in the 14th verse of John chapter 1, it said, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus did not start at the virgin birth. He was hovering with the spirit over the waters. He was the words that were being spoke out of the mouth of God when everything was created. He's from the beginning. He's to the end. He's the alpha, the omega. He is everything in between. He is not only our savior, but he's our sustainer as well as our creator. God is God. And Jesus is the second person of that Trinity. How, how do we honor that? Well, first, if we're going to be generous stewards with, with the, with, in the way God wants us to, with the white, right world, that's a tongue twister, with the right worldview, say it three times fast. Uh, what, what happens is we've got to take the resources, and I'm going to quickly share these with you. We've got to take the resources, the main, three main resources that he's given us, and we've got to apply his word, his will, and his way, right? We've got to see them from his perspective. Remember this series started off with the parable of the talents where God gives you a certain investment in your life that still belongs to him. Your life is not your own, it's his, especially if you're a believer. So now he's asking you to use his life like he would like for you to use it, right? So how do we be a generous steward with the three predominant resources in life? And what are those? Time, Talent, treasure. One time. The first resource is our greatest commodity, period. If you get my age, you'll realize why I say that. Nothing else can even compare to it. Everyone has the same amount of time to operate with. If you use time well, it can help you gain the other commodities. Time is fleeting. You can use it, but you can't keep it. You can take advantage of it, but you can't stop it. Time has to do with our birth. It has to do with our life. It has to do with our death. You might say money is more important than time, but you'd give money up to have more time. You might say that relationships are more important than time, but without time, you cannot develop a relationship. And when death comes, we wish we could get time back to use it better in the relationships we had. You might say that health is more important than time, but having more time is why we attempt to have better health. So with time being so important, how are we using it? Do we see it as a resource and are we using it wisely for the kingdom and for the king? Not for ourselves, but for the kingdom and for the king. So what is our worldview in regards to time? What does the word say about time? Ecclesiastes 3 verse 4, it says, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. In other words, time has purpose. Are we using time intentionally? And the sad part is that most people are not using time intentionally. They are letting time happen to them instead of using time for the purpose of the king and the kingdom. 
Are you with me? First Peter chapter five, verse six, humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. God is the author and manager of time. The question is, do we honor him with our time? In other words, is God first with your time or is God getting the leftover time you have? Second Timothy chapter four, verse seven says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. We have a certain amount of time. Are we presently using it for kingdom purpose? And can we, uh, and can we have used it intentionally and well, or have we used it intentionally well? So that's what God's word says about time. What are his ways about time? Number one, he's patient. Everybody say, I need to be more patient. Somebody used to say to me all the time, I don't remember, some smart aleck religious person always said, oh, don't ask God for patience. He'll give you hardship to do. You know what I have found out at 54 years old? Going to be some hardship anyway. Might as well be patient. <laughs> he allows time to pass and doesn't come yet. Do you know why Jesus hasn't returned? Because he's being patient. The Bible very clearly says that in 1 Peter. It says, you think he has, he's not going to come back. He said he's going to come back. You think he has, he's not going to come back. No, he's not come back yet because he's being patient because he wants as many people to be saved as possible. He's not limited by time. So we should not let time be a factor in our kingdom purpose. You're not too old to do kingdom purpose. You're not too young to have kingdom purpose. It's not, ha it's it, it, this idea of frustration of it's not happening fast enough. You need to calm down. And understand God has purpose for you. He's never late. <laughs> How many of y'all agree with that? He is never late. Because he's the author of time. So you might think he's late. But he came right on time. He doesn't measure time as we do. One day is a thousand years. A thousand years is as a day. Be patient. He transcends time. Psalm 92 says, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. In other words, before eternity, after eternity, you are God. We can't even understand eternity. So what is his will about time? Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. He says this, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not Give up. His will is that we live for his kingdom, we walk in his purpose, and that we do not give up. That we continue to fight for the kingdom of God and the presence of God. That we don't give up when our families go astray. We don't give up when someone's not acting right. We don't give up when we fail or, or, or we sin. We don't give up when things are hard and difficult. We just keep persevering. His will is that we would just keep moving. And if we will, he will give us a harvest when the time is right. Amen. Somebody say amen. John chapter 7, verse 6 through 8, his will is therefore, Jesus told them, my time is not yet here for, for you, any time will do. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify that its works are evil. You go to the festival. I'm not going up to the festival at this time because my time has not yet fully come. His will is subject to his timing. 
A, a good illustration of this would be when John and uh, Peter and John were walking to prayer after the day of Pentecost, and there was a man asking for alms, and he was crippled, and he'd been laying there for years, and he was saying, alms for the poor, alms for the poor. In other words, give me money, and that's the only way he had of making money. And Peter and John turned to him because he was sitting at the gate called Beautiful in Jerusalem, and they were walking through to go to prayer. And they turned to him and said, we don't have any money to give you, but what we do have, we will give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he rose up and walked. What happened as a result of that is thousands of people came to Jesus. Thousands of people came. What happened? This guy's been crippled for all of his life. How did this happen? Who did this? And they all ran and started trying to worship John and Peter. And Peter and John said, hey, hey, hold on. Don't worship us. This is, this is all Jesus, whom you crucified, by the way. And then they preached the gospel, and thousands of people gave their life to Jesus. Right then, right there on the spot. Now you say, what does that have to do with your point about timing? Jesus walked by the gate called Beautiful a number of times in three and a half years. And he didn't heal that guy. Timing matters in the kingdom of God. When the time was right, it happened. So then, knowing his word, his ways, his will as they pertain to time, we should allow that no, or excuse me, that to influence the way we use time in our lives, we shouldn't merely observe it or experience its passing. We should use it for kingdom purpose starting in our homes and moving outward for the purpose of the kingdom and let God use it and don't let it get away from us. I don't want to come to the end of my life and say, I wish I had used my time better. I don't want to stand before God and say, God, I would have done this. I would have led my family. I would have gone here. I would have spoke to that person. I would have done missions. I would have helped this person. I would have won my neighbor, but I just didn't have time. Are you really, do you really want to stand before God and that be your answer? I didn't have, it seems awful trite when you say it with that perspective, doesn't it? I would have been more spiritual, God, but I just didn't have time. I would have given you more of myself, God, but I didn't have time. I didn't have any extra time is what we're actually saying. Right? That's what we're actually saying. So, the second thing is, the second resource is talent. I'm not going to be able to finish it all. But I just want to say that I wish there was more time. <laughs> oh, thank you, Jesus. What is God's word about our talent? Well, we read the scripture. It says that we should use the gifts that he's given us to serve others. That's really basically not much more to say. The will of God, his word for us, is that we, God has given us an investment of gifts, talents, personality, abilities, strengths. How are we using them? To serve others or to serve ourselves? Live worthy of your calling, he says in this scripture. You can read it later. Ephesians chapter 4, 1 through 4. Here's what he says. He says, live worthy of your calling. In other words, God's given you some things to do life with. Be worthy of it. Be completely humble and gentle with your gifts, with your personality, with your life. God's given you a gift. Give it to others. Be patient. Be patient with each other and be patient with others in love. And then keep unity. Boy, I see a lot of believers nowadays 
Whew. So much discord. Did you know that God said he hates that? The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 6 or 7 that God hates those who sow discord among the brothers. You want to get on the opposite side of God? Get in between Christians and start making them mad at each other. I mean, if you want some scriptural backing for that, don't go use that on anybody, please. Jesus' stewardship of his gifts were all based on timing. In other words, when does it impact the kingdom the most? His talent was used with purpose. His will was Jesus created you and, and God created you and he deposited in you gifts and strengths and personality and all these things. So his will for you is that when he saves you and brings you into his kingdom, he also wants you to, he wants those gifts, talents, personalities, abilities. He wants those redeemed as well. Psalms 139 verse 13 to 14 says, for you were created in, in my inmost being. You knit me, excuse me, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, I know full well. And the third and last thing is this treasure. His word about our treasure is, <laughs> I can't even begin because he says so much about finance. He says so much about money. That could be a message all on its own. I encourage you to go look at the notes. We'll put them in the app. But God blesses us to be a blessing, period. God is not blessing us just to consume it upon, take care of ourselves. God is blessing us to be a blessing first to his kingdom, first to his church, and then to others who need our help and need our love. And so that just means, and I'm going to close with this, it's because it's, it's a hard one and I could talk about it all day, but that just means that we need to have margin in our lives. We need to not have so much debt that when God says, hey, I'd like for you to give this, that we look at, at God and say, there's no way I can give that because I don't have it because my I'm all the way out to the margins. I don't have any room to let go of anything else. If I don't get a paycheck next week, I'm in trouble. When we live that way, with our money, with our time, with our talents, all the way to the margins, then when God says, hey, make room for me, there's no room. And the problem with that is because we should have started with him and made room for him first. Matter of fact, we should have just said, you're the middle, you're the center, you're everything. Now, do with everything I have and everything I am as you will. Amen. God is good. Amen. How, about, how many of you can just see and tell that it's just better to think bibliocentric and Christocentric than to allow the philosophies, ideologies, mess of thinking that goes on in the world that by the way in case you have forgotten is inspired by the devil and the flesh the guy in the garden who got Eve to eat the apple right same guy doing the same old things and we fall for it come on
Let's let ourselves be informed by the word. Let's let ourselves be filled with the word and with the spirit of God. Let, listen, I'm going to say like an old pastor thing they used to say, get your face in the book and out of Facebook. You know what I'm saying? I mean, come on. Took a minute. Spend some time with Jesus, y'all. He wants to spend time with you. Let's spend time with him. Amen. I love you guys. Thank you for being a part of the Summit Church podcast today. We pray that God used today's podcast to draw you closer to him. You can stay in the know at Summit by following us on social media. Thank you again for being a part. This is the Summit Church podcast.